Hello and welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and we're so glad that you're here. We use our mojo to really become greater leaders. Now, let's get started by listening to something good. If you really want to improve as a leader, I've got a great deal for you. Simply go to mojouniversity.com and sign up for our two-week trial. Take any of my courses. I promise you, you're going to get better. You're going to learn. Go to mojouniversity.com and sign up totally for free and try us out for two weeks. Hello and welcome everyone to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here, and I'm thrilled to introduce my special guest, Jennifer Fondreve. Now, Jennifer uh, is a uh, C-suite executive, but she's also the founder of something called Day One Ready, which is an M&A consultancy firm working with business owners uh, in order to understand private equity. Now, in addition to that, uh, Jennifer is going to release a book very soon called Now What? A Survivor's Play, uh, Playbook for Thriving Through M&A. And I know it's going to help us all understand the process because it's a very difficult process to navigate whenever uh, ownership changes come in or capital infusions come into a company. It seems like priorities change and Jennifer's an expert in that area and we're going to learn a lot from her. So Jennifer, welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Glad to have you today. Thank you for having me. Well, uh, it's our pleasure. And uh, Jennifer, before we get started on talking about M&A and your perspective, why don't you share with our listeners what fun thing that you've been up to lately outside of work? Well, the most recent that truly was fun and I'd say almost magical, I celebrated my 20-year wedding anniversary with my husband uh, and two kids. And we went to Mackinac Island. They have a jazz festival every Labor Day weekend. And we were married September 6, 1998. Well, congratulations. So we enjoyed it in Mackinac. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, and unfortunately, I think the mindset that I'm in uh, lately, I put it into an article uh, entitled, Whatever You Do, Pick Your Partner Wisely. Um, and very happy. I've gotten a lot of positive response. I'm sure my husband's a bit mortified that I turned even that moment into an article. <laughs> well, it was great. Uh, I'm very proud to have hit it. Well, uh, I'm sure he'll get over it shortly, uh, especially when he realizes it was a positive thing. And uh, being married 20 years is certainly a positive thing. Congratulations and continued uh, uh, best wishes for many, many more. Thank you. Yeah, I know. I even say it's kind of child's play in the big milestone category, but still proud to have hit it nonetheless. Uh, it's, not a, it's not child's play to have a great relationship. And, uh, those of us at Manager Mojo know that very well because relationships really take a lot of work. 
So yeah, uh, Jennifer, I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today about your new upcoming book uh, about M&A. We don't really hear much these days about the human impact of what happens when companies go through an M&A process. And I know that you're an expert there. You've been through it a number of times. So uh, why don't you begin by sharing with our listeners what really uh, your experience with having multiple M&A uh, experiences and what, it, what you learned a little bit about it. What prompted you to want to go into this area and talk about it? Well, I, I would say first and foremost, you, you actually touched on it in your introduction. We don't hear a lot about the human side of M&A, and having experienced three multi-billion dollar acquisitions, uh, I can tell you the human side plays a significant role in the success or failure of it. And, you know, I guess for better or for worse, I learned a lot with each acquisition experience. Uh, as I said, I went through three, and the first one was particularly um, jarring simply because I didn't know what to expect. And by the third one, I knew the playbook. I, I had figured out, okay, well, yep, I've just learned we're going to be acquired. Um, in the third experience I had, it was by a private equity firm. Um, by, by that time, I already had a, a greater understanding because I've just had been through it three times. But I realized that the people around me were not as prepared. Um, and it just, it dawned on me in that moment. And at this point, I was um, a marketing executive. I've been a marketing and advertising executive for 25 years. And it was in the last 10 that I experienced the, the acquisitions that I'm referring to. And I had a bit of a, an epiphany, if you will, that I was better able to navigate by the third one only because I knew I knew the stages of grief. I, I knew the feelings that you would experience. I knew the people would change. Everyone operates differently when operating from a, a position of fear. And it helped me to navigate. And I was actually a much better leader to my team and, frankly, the teams around us because I knew what to expect. And it was at that moment that I thought, God, if I... If I could just show what a better way through M&A looks like, there might be a better chance for success of these. Um, Steve, you may know that 70 to 90 percent of mergers and acquisitions fail. Um, this is mm -hmm. research done by McKinsey and Harvard Business Review, um, and it's been actually that trend for uh, at least a decade. And so I thought, if I, I had to stop saying there's got to be a better way, I just decided by the third one, I've got to show what a better way through M&A looks like. Uh, and so that's what prompted me to, to want to write a book, a playbook, if you will, for how to navigate it, how to, how to get through it, how to understand what's going to happen, uh, and how to make it work for you, how to see the opportunity and what looks to be chaos. Well, it, it definitely, uh, when people go through it, it feels like chaos. Uh, when you combine yeah. uh, companies, uh, it, it can be very traumatic, and I've watched it. Uh, and I would tell you, by the way, those numbers of 70% or so are probably not just over the last 10 years, but over the last 30 years. Uh, mm -hmm. th this is an area that really hasn't changed much. And in, in my view, it's because people don't change much. Uh, nobody uh, really, when they start looking at M&A, they usually are looking at the numbers. 
And anytime right. you're looking at just the numbers, the people kind of get left on the side. Uh, yep. And I know uh, it, we'll talk about your experiences on what some of the common ones, but uh, one of the things that I like uh, that you're doing, you talk about uh, some of the, what I call the, the key BS lines that uh, people are given whenever <laughs> M&S comes in. And, yep. uh, you know, it, it just, uh, from somebody that's been through it, if you understand that what the, what the uh, company is said and what the people are hearing are two different things, it's right. kind of fun. Why don't you, just, rather than me prompting you, why don't you just tell me what a couple of your favorites are? Well, the one I heard consistently um, was nothing's going to change, right? This is great for us. We're so excited and no worries, nothing's going to change. Hey, that's now, my first one too, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I can tell you because I've interviewed probably about 60 to 65 executives and private equity and HR leaders at this point and, and managers as well. And that one was the number one cringe-inducing from both the people who said it and the people who heard it. Because I do feel at the time executives might think that, they might believe that. But the reality is the moment, and I, what I say is the moment actually M&A, a merger and acquisition is even considered, things have already changed. If that's truly on your list of potential growth strategies as a business, you start to act differently. You start to make decisions through that lens. You start to think about, hmm, well, should we do this? What if we merge, or what if we acquire, or what if we're acquired? So by just nature of having the thought and having it on a list of potential growth strategies, you start to make different decisions. So you may not even realize it as an executive, but things have already changed just by nature of having the thought. So that's the one I think that tends to get the greatest frustration because it, it ends up being a lie almost immediately, and it, it clouds people's um, receptivity, I think, to the other messages that well, sure. are that are typically shared. Sure. The, the, what what uh, what I think that people forget is that the only thing you have is trust and credibility in a business. That's really the exactly. only thing that you have. And if you start yep. saying things aren't going to change, uh, instinctively people already know that's an immediate lie because it just changed. You just told me we're introducing. Uh, new factors in our decision-making process. That means we had change. And right. uh, so when people do that, they're, they're really undermining the trust that they built up with their team, in my view. Is that a and fair statement? Absolutely. And that's what I impress the most on executives when I'm consulting with them is it, it may be said with the best of intentions. The Ideally, the objective is we want our workforce to know this is good, all good things are going to happen. Um, but the reality is change has already taken place. So by presenting, presenting the merger or acquisition in any way other than the reality, right, which is change is going to occur, um, just sets you up for, for failure. And, and exactly as you pointed out, it dissolves the trust um, that you might have with your frontline leaders. Well, uh, I think one of the one of the other points that I, I hear often 
And it gets at uh, what you hinted at earlier. Oftentimes, executives will want to say, this is great for us. It expands our portfolio. <laughs> it allows us to go out into the marketplace as the one-stop shop our customers have been clamoring for. But the, the people on the front line, they know immediately this is going to complicate their efforts. And frankly, more often than not, they're frustrated because they're thinking, I've been out there selling our premium price product, and now you've added on the, the cheaper version of, uh, of what was our portfolio. And I've actually been saying that cheaper version is bad, so now you want me to go out and sell that too? So if you're presenting things in a way to say this is great for the company, super are for our portfolio, but you haven't thought through how the workforce is going to hear it, you're, you're setting yourself up for um, a, a tricky transition uh, and certainly a more difficult one. Yeah, there's no question it's going to be difficult when you do that. I, I, and I agree. I think that anytime you start uh, using what I call canned responses, you're in trouble. And yep. that's one of the worst ones as well. But I think there's uh, even more disastrous ones, especially if you're the acquired company. You're the company mm -hmm. that's being merged in. There's this, this thing that... Uh, uh, yeah, we're combining, but we're we're still going to be the same. And people know that that's not true. Right. You're not going to have you're not going to have two CEOs and two presidents. And uh, in other words, your job is at risk, uh, just like the other person's job is at risk. Yep. Yeah. yeah. No, you actually you hit on the one that uh, usually gets the greatest laugh line, which is when someone says, you know, we're we're combining, and, and, uh, and this is going to be the same, so it's kind of the variation of nothing's going to change. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, what the workforce hears is, well, if we're combining and everything's going to be the same, how come their CEO is now our new CEO, right? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, people workforce. know better. They, they know better. <laughs> they can read, and they can uh, see the writing on the wall, and... Uh, it's very difficult and so leaders have to be uh, they have to say look we are going to enter a period of change and uh, you need to be ready for it uh, the, right. the thing that uh, one of the things that you're addressing uh, in your book that I, I want to talk just a moment about now is the the things that it does to people I, I, I have noticed this over the years uh, people really begin to morph into some pretty crazy uh, personality traits and taking some nutty actions. Uh, yeah. And uh, you call it archetypes in your book. Why don't you share a little bit about what, what we mean by that? What, what, what is really going to be happening? And, uh, you know, what did you learn by that? Well, there was a couple of things, and I think I, I will share one of the hardest lessons I learned going through my three different experiences was that people who I had worked with for a while, who mm -hmm. I thought I knew, changed. O almost, it seemed to me, overnight. And, and I intentionally, my book uh, that describes these archetypes is not to pass judgment, I highlight the fact that when people are afraid, when fear is the rampant driver, people do some crazy things. And so my goal in the book is to say, 
you have to be aware of the fact that it's not just the acquiring company. Let's say you've been acquired. It's the acquiring company coming over, you know, the new bosses you'll experience that way. That's one set uh, of, of personalities to consider. But you also have to recognize that the people who you have worked with for a while may start to act differently. So I, and the, I intentionally in the book, uh, it's a satirical business book, because um, frankly I found a lot of dark humor in, in the experiences that I had, and I thought, dear God, no one's going to want to read a book about M&A unless they thought they might get a good laugh out of it. And so the archetypes that I describe, such as the missing in action, right, that's, just, that's one that tends to get a lot of, of laughs because it's literally the person who suddenly just disappears. Um, you, the, they're still on the payroll, you still see their name, but you're not quite sure where they are or what they're doing. And I experienced this in particular because mine were, uh, you know, companies of 1,000, uh, 20, 15,000 people. Um, but it can even happen in a smaller or uh, mid-market-sized business. It Suddenly can. people just, yeah. And so I highlight the, both um, the archetypes, what drives it, you know, people can actually change from one archetype to another depending on how they're feeling, where they see things happening. Um, the other one that tends to get a lot of laughs is the opportunist. So that's the person who is a bit of a suck-up and just looks for who they think is in power and, <laughs> and takes advantage of that and, you know, sucks up to that person until they realize, well, maybe that's not the person with power, and then they suck up to another person. And um, I think that one gets the most laughs because people recognize they all know one, and they all see that um, that what's obvious to them isn't necessarily obvious to the person. So really, that that aspect of the book is just to bring what I like to say throughout the book is rabid transparency mm-hmm. to what you are going to see, what you are going to experience, and what's going to happen to the people around you. And it's really just to arm people with greater knowledge so that they can make decisions from a position of strength. Um, what I saw happen too often was that people started to question their value. Uh, and they were still valuable employees, but because of the chaos, they weren't sure where they fit and yep. if their skill set was valued anymore. And, and so my message is to say, know your value. You have valuable skills. Don't let the chaos around you have you doubt that, but know quickly what your value is and where you can contribute that. Uh, Jennifer, I agree, and I, I find, though, that people that are naturally behaviorally cautious and careful, uh, they, they really don't like change very much. Uh, they right. may have been a long-term employee, and now all of a sudden they're having to think about their future and whether or not they're going to be have a job. And some of those people will do, uh, like you're talking about, they just become totally invisible. Uh, and... But the, the reality is, uh, as, as leaders, what are some of the things that, that we can do that would begin to help our, our team members understand how to cope and, uh, just as importantly, how do we cope? Well, and, and I'm glad you raised it because I think a lot of the leadership articles that, that I read, and rightly so, they're focused on leaders in the best of times, how you should operate. And, and what I focus on, because I do feel it's a unique skill set and, and, and you have to be smart as a leader. When people are afraid and operating from a position of fear, it's a different skill set that's required. As a leader, you need to show compassion and empathy. 
particularly, and this is what I emphasize with executives, um, and what I, I frankly highlighted in um, the HBR article that you referred to earlier when you talk about the us and them dynamic, for me, leaders have the responsibility to demonstrate the compassion and empathy so that they show change is happening, we recognize change is happening, we want to help you get through this change, and we're going to make sure you understand what the vision is of where we are going and the role that you play in helping us get there. I think that, uh, unfortunately, what can tend to happen, and I get it, right, there's a lot of pressure on a company after a merger and acquisition to make the numbers, to hit the value that was proclaimed to the market. Um, But by doing so, and trying to rush people through that change process, you end up undermining the potential success of the deal. Uh, and so what I say to leaders is it's imperative that you, you help describe what the new way is going to look like. Why is this vision good? Why are we going there? Um, as I like to say, you can't sell it like it's a product. You've got to sell the vision through narrative, through story, have people feel involved and understanding how they can contribute to the new direction that you're going in Mm -hmm. and give them the time to understand what that looks like because they're going to be reluctant to give up the old way of doing things until they really embrace and understand what that new way looks like and why it's better. Jennifer, our listeners here uh, have heard many times where we talk about learning how to be compassionate toward uh, people that maybe think differently than you do and that work on your team and how you have to build that trust. And those yeah. that are, are open with what they know and when they know it, uh, they, they tend to do much better through these things uh, than those yeah. that are, you know, they're, they're just trying to hide their feelings and play Pollyanna because it doesn't work that way. No. And, and, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, although I am sensing a shift, but in the past I feel that empathy has not been considered a critical success factor for leaders, right? You just had yep. to be the leader that understood and could make the decisions and full speed ahead and, and everybody followed behind you. I think now there's a growing sense. It's, it's you know, the, the pendulum is slow to move, but I, I see at least it's moving that empathy is considered a benefit to leaders, particularly given the disruption that's happening across so many different business segments, that empathy and an ability to understand what your team is going through and how to help them through it sets your team up for success. Well, I I like to think uh, in terms of empathy and really understanding what's going on with your team, uh, I don't know uh, personally if it will ever uh, really totally change in business. I think we'll still see uh, many, many uh, leaders that choose not to be empathetic and they want to work according to paradigms that are more, I'm the boss, do what I say, let's do the things and, you know, or basically shut up and do your job. And, uh, but, over the years, uh, what I've seen is that those that are empathetic, it's like they have a secret superpower. They yeah. tend to get things done. They tend to be more successful uh, than their counter. <coughs> excuse me, than their counterparts. Is is was that a fair thing to say? Yeah, and 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 frankly, I I would say I'm I'm thankful that I 
I have that trait. Uh, I definitely went through my fair share of times, though, where it was like, you know, don't be so empathetic. You know, you just got to get the team to do stuff. But what I can say is through the merger and acquisition experiences I went through, it was my ability to be empathetic that I got the most out of my teams because I, I understood where they were coming from. I'd been on all sides. I was acquired in my first. In the second, I acquired a team that had been acquired. And in the third, it was a private equity firm that acquired us. And so having had those multiple vantage points allowed me to have greater empathy because I knew, okay, even though you're not asking me these questions, I know this is how you're feeling. Exactly. Uh, and in fact, I had one guy say to me, he goes, you know, at first I thought you might be a witch because it was really strange how you knew how we were all feeling. <laughs> I said, well, I don't have a cauldron in my office, but I, I know how you feel. And even if you're not going to ask me the questions, I'm going to answer the questions you should be asking me because it'll help us get through what can be an amazingly emotional and tough time. Uh, and and that really, I, I attribute my success to that, and that's why I emphasize it in the book. I love that. Totally love that. Uh, Jennifer, I know that our listeners are going to want to connect with you and learn more about this topic. Uh, why don't you share how they can connect with you? Uh, first and foremost, would love to. I uh, would love to connect. I'm, I'm finding fellow tribes people <laughs> everywhere, <laughs> which is remarkable. Um, and so that would be through Jennifer J. Fondreve. Dot com. Uh, I know you said you'll put it in the in the show notes, so I'll I uh, won't bore you with spelling my last name. It took me <laughs> years to figure out how to spell it myself. Um, and, and on that on my website, you'll see an opportunity to to pre-order the book to get a sense of the consulting I do and the speaking that I do. Um, and you know, really, right now, um, I've equally enjoyed um, connecting with people through LinkedIn. Uh, it's cool. been an amazing experience to see how many people have a similar viewpoint on, on the human side of business, not just through mergers and acquisitions, but just in general, right? The, Agreed. The, the, we're, we're starting to lose a sense of humanity at work, and, uh, and so that's what I write about. Well, I think that's wonderful, and uh, as you uh, just said, for those of you that are exercising, uh, don't worry about uh, all you got to do is look in the post. You'll see the link uh, that takes you directly to Jennifer's website. Now, uh, as we come to a close here at Manager Mojo, we like to leave with action items, Jennifer. And for someone that's going through this right now, I wondered if you might share your top one or two action items that you believe people should be considering in order to navigate this tricky world uh, of M&A. So for executives, what I say first and foremost, if you're thinking of a merger or an acquisition, even just thinking about it, in addition to calling your lawyer or accountant or even just talking to, to friends and colleagues about what their experience has been, talk to a human capital advisor uh, and a human capital advisor being that person who will help give you perspective on the people side of a merger and acquisition. Um, what I reinforce repeatedly is they're not unexpected people problems. You can't anticipate them, but you need to be smart about what they will be, because there's, there's consistency. And I think the more informed you are about the people side, the better prepared you will be for how to manage it. Uh, and for me, that's first and foremost, I want to give these 
these deals the best chance at success because that means it gives the people the best chance at success. And for managers, my key piece of advice is know your value. Don't wait for the company to tell you what your value is. Be crystal clear on what you contribute and what you provide and evaluate what what your value is against where the vision of the company is going and how you can contribute to that. Uh, and I say look for the opportunities and change. Don't wait for someone to tell you what they are. Look for them and demonstrate how you can deliver on them. Jennifer, those are great action items and I appreciate you sharing them. My guest today uh, has been Jennifer Findervey. She's uh, the author of the soon-to-be-published book, Now What? A Survivor's Playbook for Thriving Through M&A. Uh, Jennifer, as we uh, also said, she's founded Day One Ready, and uh, she has a consultancy that works with business owners to work through these issues. Jennifer, thank you for sharing your wisdom today, and we at Manager Mojo wish you continued success in all that you do, and especially on the new book. Thank you so much, and thank you again for having me. My pleasure.